0: The Other Side Podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Hello, hello. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Other Side Podcast. I'm Scott Kirk, here with Lucas Sullivan, and today we have joining us Akia Red, who is the founder of Real Girls Fart. She is also the wife of ex-OSU basketball player and ex-NBA player Michael Red. Welcome.
1: Hey, hey. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, this is great. This is gonna be a fascinating discussion. Absolutely. As two
2: dumb men talking <laughs> yes. to a woman about yes. empowering other women, we, often we
0: are going have to have to get very educated. smart women come in and, yeah. and educate
1: us. Well you will be very aware after you talk to me. All right,
0: all right. Our right. mind is open. <laughs> I'm I wanna wake up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Farting. <laughs> no, I've got that down. I want to start off talking about that. Yeah. OK, so I love the acronym. I yeah, get yeah, yeah. it. It draws attention. But do you ever worry that when someone reads it or sees it without sort of the explanation behind it, that they won't take your organization and your cause seriously?
1: Yeah, that used to be a concern. I mean, in fact, it's happened. Oh. You know what I mean? Like it, when I first uh, came out on Facebook with Real Girls Fart, it did happen. But I think that once they actually looked at the content on the page and it actually helped the discussion like come, okay. you know, from their questions or from them being uncertain or they'll ask like, well, what is this all about? Like I see, but how does this relate? Right. And then it like opens the door for me to talk to them and tell them and they're like, oh, that's really cool.
0: Now, why don't you just explain what FART stands for?
1: So it stands for fearless, authentic, rescuer and trailblazer. Okay. And basically when I was diagnosed about two and a half, three years ago with generalized anxiety disorder and depression, I had to go through all all of those steps in acknowledging the diagnosis, accepting treatment for the diagnosis, and just being okay with living it out loud. So all four of those words are very, very significant to the steps that I took to actually be where I am right now.
0: Okay.
2: Your diagnosis. Yeah. If we could talk about that for a second. Yeah. A lot of and myself included in this discussion when I talk to people about it, everybody kind of handles anxiety and depression differently Mm -hmm. internally. Yes. It can feel like a pressure in your chest. Correct. What were some of the for people who, you know, may question, do I need to go get a diagnosis or what like what were you feeling leading up to your diagnosis that caused you to say, "Okay, maybe there's something not right with me?
1: So initially it started with the constant fear of the future. Like I'm always like I always lived in the realm of what if, what if, what if, what if this something bad happens, something bad happens in particular. And I think all of us have different triggers, right? For me, growing up as a pastor's daughter, African-American family death was often talked about and used as a threat actually so like for example if I was taking one of my parents for granted for example in particular you know my father like he'd be like you know when I'm gone you'll you know regret it so as a child it put a fear a seed of fear in me of the fear of death and then along with death, the things that could cause death. So like health scares and whatnot. So I would always be like, oh, my God, I have these two kids. I have this amazing husband. Like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to get sick. And so that would be what I would fear. And so when I would start feeling sicknesses, that's I would constantly that hamster wheel of what if this happens? What if that happens? So it was the what if then I would Google obsessively like Dr. Google for everything. And I think a lot of people do that, but like yeah. mine was just like up at night to the point where it caused me to actually lose sleep. So then insomnia started to happen. And then if you're not sleeping, anxiety gets worse. So then I'm not sleeping, I start not
2: eating. So were you talking to anybody in your personal life about this? Were you looking for an outlet or were you shouldering it all yourself?
1: I was actually shouldering it all myself because my anxiety shows up in the form of irritability. Okay. So I was just really cranky and snappy at everyone. And yeah. my husband kind of was like, this is like a whole like three months of like PMS. Yeah. Like what is going on?
0: Did you feel differently like... Like internal, did you feel like something was off?
1: Yeah, like I'm like, why am I like overreacting to everything? Why am I crying about everything?
0: And you've got kids at this
2: time now oh, too. Yeah. So you're, you know, are you thinking about your childhood and the impact that your parents had and, and maybe, you know, was that part of it too, that how am I impacting my children acting this way? Did that, was that part of your snowballing?
1: No, not in the, the immediate. Like when I was actually going through it, I couldn't get past myself. Okay. I couldn't get past how awful I was feeling. I started to think about my children as I actually started to get treatment and how that was affecting them that's actually what pushed me to get help was actually thinking about okay I got this diagnosis like oh my god like it's a wake up call like what am I actually putting them through because when I was high in the anxiety and could not function I could not mother so then from the anxiety that's why I always say anxiety and depression are like cousins or sisters they you know one actually is going to play off the other depending on what your you know proclivity is towards mine is more anxiety but when I can't function I'm depressed and so I got depressed didn't want to get up out of the bed I'm gonna tell you this is a funny thing but I actually knew that something was wrong when I started having recurrent panic attacks and they were so debilitating that I could not function to the point where I lost interest in everything and I love to shop and I love to exercise so the
2: thought of even going out was oh it
1: was no I just you dreaded it yeah I woke up To literally go back to bed. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of times when we talk about like anxiety, we think about like, oh, like I'm nervous. Then when we talk about depression, we talk about, we think about like, oh, it's wearing black. It's being sad. It's actually just a numbness to like life around you. Like how life is happening and you're like knocking on the door. Like I want to come outside, but I just can't.
0: Yeah. Mm. You know? So do you think being the wife of a public figure intensified it or did you feel like because your husband is who he is that you sort of had to just kind of either one not go public with it but just kind of endure this and and shoulder it or do you think that really didn't have anything to do with it
1: well I think it did once I became his wife but I think I was already shouldering it like way before that I mean think about in African American communities we do not talk about mental illness right it is highly stigmatized I mean in society as as a whole how so Mm
2: -hmm. like how is it different
1: I think you know honestly if you if you take it all the way back to like slavery times you know we endured as a people a lot of trauma mm-hmm. And so we didn't have time. Like, yeah. we didn't have time to be sad. And,
0: and all we really had was spirituality. Right. Because you couldn't just go to a counselor or a right. psychiatrist. So right. it was basically the church and, yeah. praying, and praying, praying in a or. So
1: or you talked about
0: it. Was it a
2: weakness? Yes. That you, yes.
1: Okay. Yes. As, especially as a black woman, because in general, in the African-American community, as much as we see men as like a pillar of strength, black women are taught from three years old like oh stop crying girl ain't nothing wrong with you and you know just shape up and be strong and power through it and so we are raised to be very strong our moms our grandmothers very strong women a lot of our families are headed by women so it's embedded were they
0: nurturing like with you was that like how do they react to you seeking treatment now no then like initially were they like what are you doing that for or or they were they supportive
1: Well, back before it was a thing, so, you know, before I was an adult, back in my teenage years, when I would have these issues, you're fine. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong. You're fine. You know, just give it to God. You know, it'll be all right. So
2: there was, it doesn't sound like there was a lot of nurturing. Absolutely of, not.
1: Not with that. Because like, what is that? Like, that's not a thing. You know, you you don't have anything to be anxious about. You don't have anything to be depressed about. Mm. People got real problems in the world. Yeah. So yeah. then you get that guilt on top yeah, of sure. that placed upon you. Like, I do it's have shamed, a good life. It's kind
0: of shame. Like, yeah. you're yeah. shamed a little bit. Like, why am, a- am I Am I not tough enough to yeah. right
1: and then it goes into well, if I'm not tough enough then okay I must then I start questioning my blackness well then you know I got to toughen up because I'm not you know black enough you yeah, know what I mean I'm yeah. not strong enough you know because again and I've said this and I've taken a lot of criticism when I've said this on my Facebook page but it was told to me that these kind of problems are white girl problems hmm. Wow. so again you're questioning your blackness you're questioning your faith
2: because black girls are supposed to be tougher than white girls
1: yes and I don't know where that came from, except for generations upon generations, it almost is like when you were out in the field working, those were the tougher black people. The ones that were working in the house, they weren't as strong. right? And I think
0: too, a lot of times when it comes to mental health care, in the black community, I think there's a stigma that you only go see a psychiatrist when you're like crazy. That's (laughs) that's only for crazy people. If you're depressed, you just get over it or anxiety, you just get over it. And so I think there's this stigma that one only really sick people go see mental health professionals. And then you also there's a economic factor in that people just don't have access. If you don't have insurance, correct you can't pay the hundred dollars an hour it might cost to go see a therapist. So that right there is enough to discourage a lot of people. Right.
2: So but did you ever sit down with your mom or your dad and say, I'm struggling with this like I'm
1: never. There was never the space.
2: So do you create that space now with your kids? I do. What does that look like?
1: Wow. So because of me coming out, you know, being very open about the diagnosis and the illness that I live with every day and my choice to be medicated, my children, we have very open discussions in our home about mental illness. In fact, I have my 11 year old. He's ADHD diagnosed um, just last year. And he's also very anxious, which we know and we're finding out now as we're studying that those types of illnesses do have a genetic component to it. So, you know, it just looks like creating that space for them to talk. I'm very, very curious with my children.
2: But isn't this tough for you? This has to dig up. Like, this is the problem is, as, as I'm an adult now mm-hmm. and adults that we we don't talk adult to adult about this. Right. If we battled it when we were kids and now that we have our own kids. You know, it's got to be it's tough for me. And I wonder how tough it is for you when because that probably triggers a memory or maybe reconnects a memory that you stowed away of something that happened. And there's not a lot of time for you to go back and explore that because y- you're trying to help your kids. right?
1: Exactly. Well, the thing about it is, is like I like to always use this analogy when we're on the plane. Right. We hear the stewardess or the thing over the intercom and it says before securing the oxygen mask of others, you secure your own oxygen mask. Mm. Right. And that's the approach. to that I've taken so I've been very diligent about my own treatment and then once I became comfortable with the treatment that I was receiving the medication started to work which by the way it has ebbs and flows and it takes a good six to eight weeks to really get that therapeutic effect
0: were you apprehensive about taking the medication
1: 100 i was apprehensive because of the stigma associated with medication i thought that just you know people who have schizophrenia bipolar take medication right and you know also like i, I like to think i'm sort of health conscious so like what is that doing long term to my organs like am i gonna have problems you know in the future to my memory you know like all these different types of things but i had to weigh the risk Over You know, in the benefit. And I felt like I'm not only taking this medication every day for myself, but I'm also taking it for my family and I'm also taking it for my friends because these types of illnesses can affect your relationships in your life.
2: Sure. Yeah your example is another one we've heard it reminded me of scott when we had amy in here talking about how her brother took his own life and he had all of these things going for him right and this is another example of you know a lot of people would sit in judgment of you and saying wait you have nice house mm-hmm. you have a successful marriage a successful husband you don't have to worry about money it's back to that whole what do you got to be so upset about kind of thing and so yeah. you're back to where you were when in your childhood like yeah. you got to answer that too and that doesn't help
1: no it it actually doesn't that was one of the things that discouraged me in the beginning you know that I was kind of weighing should I come out about this story because of how other people would respond yeah. you know and that was one of the reasons why I was like oh do I want to really lead this storyline with the fact that I am a wife of an ex-NBA player and you know like Ooh, is she you know like what is she crying about like this is the thing that I say my chemicals in my brain just like you have heart disease and some people cancer and some people there's obviously a physiological thing that's going on. Mental illness is the same exact way and that is one of the things that we have to really really put you know or get across to people is that I don't have enough serotonin and if I don't have enough serotonin then that means I'm depressed. If I have too much serotonin then that means I'm anxious and that's the reason why I teeter with anxiety and depression so closely. So I'm on one medication for one thing one medication for another thing and they kind of help help balance each other out my chemicals in my brain my body doesn't process stimuli and stress like everybody else does so it is a physiological situation or illness that i have so they don't my body doesn't know that i have a nice house Coming right. out
2: of the shadows on this, yeah. did you need someone to say, and did someone say, like, yeah, do this? And did you seek that or no? Well, you started your blog first, right?
1: Yeah, that was what I did while I was in counseling. And while I, when I first started taking the medication, I used the writing as therapy.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. And that was mainly just for you to just kind of get out for me, your thoughts and yes. feelings? Were you expecting other people to start kind of sharing their stories and following you?
1: I was hoping that. Okay. I was hoping for that. So it was, you know, it was kind of like twofold for me. It was healing me. I'm a writer by trade. So like that's how I kind of like I love to, you know, express my thoughts and feelings by writing. But then it was also, you know, putting my fillers out there for this book that's to be released in June. How many people are actually going through the same thing? I don't want to scratch where nobody's itching, basically. I don't want to talk. If they're not willing to, you know, discuss their stuff, then, you know, maybe I should kind of just table this for the right time. So it worked for me kind of in both ways and even better than I had hoped. for. But did you talk
2: to did you talk to your husband or your mom or your did you before you made that leap? Coming out of the shadows or no?
1: No, I, so you just kind of did it. I just, I just kind of wow. did it because I just because I felt like, hey, honey, guess what I did <laughs> yeah.
0: today? I, I dropped a blog. <laughs> you may want to
1: read it. Oh no! Well, okay, 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 okay. Let's go back. So <laughs> the blog, yes, that was a conversation. But initially, we, I talked about doing a blog before I even was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't going to even use the blog at that time for mental illness discussion it was going to be more for empowering women talking about you know being a wife being a mom how to balance it all inspiration you know that type of thing and then life happened And then I got diagnosed and then I was just like, oh, I might as well use this. platform. I'm going to use this platform because this is to me. I felt like it was all lining up like this is what I have been given to share. So I'm going to do it. And so it changed after I talked to my husband. But he's been fully on board with it. I think it's kind of been uncomfortable for him in a way because he comes from the same community that I come from. And he also has this name. What does it mean to,
2: I don't question whiteness, and I know that that yeah. probably comes from this white privilege, and I get that part. What does questioning your blackness mean? Because you said earlier that you question, you know, your blackness. What was the questioning there?
1: Well, I mean, I'm lighter, <laughs> first of all. Okay.
2: you know, So and- is it like if you have too many checks against being really black, like as far as your culture, yeah. then you've lost your blackness? Is that what it means? Like I'm trying I'm just I know. trying to do Well understand. I don't know.
1: I mean for me, yes. So I mean, if, that's you're li- if you're my... light
2: skinned, that's a check.
1: Yeah, so um, I was light skinned. I at the time had longer hair, okay. finer hair, like it wasn't like kinky, it was okay. very wavy. Um, and I could straighten it out without a relaxer. I talked different. <laughs> I pronounced certain words the way that they're supposed to be pronounced. I couldn't dance as well as some of my other, you know, African American sisters. Okay. You know, um, yeah, I wasn't as tough. Like I was very I'm very sensitive as a person. So that was counted against me. Okay, yeah. So
0: you like stack all these things on top of each other.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: OK. Uh huh. I just wanted to chime in on what you were saying about questioning your blackness. I don't yeah. think I've ever like consciously questioned yeah. it, but I do think that, well, I'll share a little personal story. So maybe about probably about seven years ago, I started seeing a therapist. Mainly because I believe that as black folks, we should. I would have conversations with my friends and family and I'd say white people do this all the time and nobody thinks anything of it. Right. And I'm paying for it. Right. Because we have benefits, health benefits. I pay into those benefits. So basically I could go see a therapist almost for free. And it was a great experience. I told all of my friends is the greatest thing. You can go talk to somebody for an hour who doesn't know you and their job is just to sit there and listen. Like, where (laughs) else can you do that? Like, easy. you know, it's, it's even better than talking to your friends and your family, because sometimes I think for black folks, a lot of times we think if we just talk to our friends and family like that's enough. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it is. But there's something about one talking to a professional who's right. been trained and two just talking to someone who's objective and doesn't know you, because I think then you feel free to share with them things that maybe if it was your someone you knew, you wouldn't necessarily share it with them. So yeah. I totally feel what you're saying. And in terms of the black thing, I thought of it as, well, I'm still a black guy, but I'm a black guy with health benefits, so I'm going to take advantage of it. (laughs) yeah I get that I just I'm just trying to understand because but you could get it on another whereas you may not get it on the race on the race angle you might get it on the male angle because if you told some of your buddies yeah, that you were right, going to right. see a therapist they'd right. be now like, the man, now man, now the, being a man there's yeah. a man for sure. yes. and so as a black woman I can see you getting it on, on both ends oh
1: yeah 100% I mean I think that that was where the, the insecurities and the need or yeah. the feeling I needed to question came from is you know other black females
2: yeah no, I will I'll say be. a little going back to and I know you brought up your parents and, and we could all say this a lot of us say this about our parents like if you could go back like the big yeah. thing to me is if your parents could just be a little more nurturing in those moments and mm-hmm. that's where you know now that we have kids that you see those uh, you know you look I look for those moments I'm sure you do too now 100%. considering how much you talk about it yeah, because it does give them the foundation yes. and and you know there are moments I remember my dad and we it was a big fight where he's like you're not my number one priority 8. You know, it's just yeah, like as yeah, a yeah. as a kid that sticks with you yeah. and you, you don't realize it at the time, but later in life, like that moment when you needed nurturing and instead you got, oh, uh, you, you, you just need to toughen up. Uh yep. you don't have anything to be concerned about. It's like, it's a whole different way of looking at raising a child.
1: Yes, it is. Well, and I think that the newer parents, this generation of parents, I think that we are more conscious and more aware. I
2: hope so, because I hope that when our kids sit down and have these conversations, maybe on a podcast. Or wherever, they can at least say at least my mom or dad recognized I needed some nurturing and didn't need a stiff hand.
1: Yes, 100 percent. I mean, because you can say those things to your kids, but, you know, at the end of the day, that's not going to help them. And the thing that I always say is, like, I don't want to be the reason that my kids have to go sit on somebody's couch. Life is going to happen enough. Life is traumatic. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want to add to that trauma. I want to be a support to my children.
0: Well, that is a great segue to our next topic. Mm -hmm. I just want to talk to you about something that you um, posted on your blog Mm -hmm. and Basically, long story short, it's in reference to an article that you read titled To My Son, It's Okay to Be a Mama's Boy. <laughs> yeah. And Scott's a mama's boy. Uh, well,
2: actually, so I don't know if so, I am. No,
0: you are. You am you
2: I? love your mom and she loves you. Doesn't everybody you, love their mom?
0: You talk about your mom a lot? Does that make you a, Well, that's why I wanted to have this discussion. One, what makes you a mama's boy?
1: Well, I mean, people When you love your mama. Yeah, I, but I, that's everybody. Mm-hmm, no, I think this no. part, but I
0: think this piece was mm-hmm. particularly saying that basically that it had a negative connotation that if yeah. Yeah, you're, if you're mama's a
2: boy, yeah. you're soft. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not soft. Don't play yeah. me, homie. See, you're you're you you're are you are attaching and I'm not attaching to negative just, connotation. Just you good. are. That's why I'm asking the your question. Your mom has yeah. made
1: you a strong black
2: man. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Appreciate that. <laughs> I don't think you're weak.
1: I just met you, but I would have to agree with Lucas. I <laughs> thank mean, you, I, thank from you. From bro. what I can see. Just but go the with but it, just the
2: mama's boy thing
1: is.
0: Well well, do you worry? First of all, do you think your son is a mama's boy? One hundred percent. Okay. Are you okay with it?
1: Yeah, because I don't feel like it's going to be I don't feel like it's going to be anything that is going to be preventing him from connecting with another woman in his life in the future. I think that he's sensitive. I think that he's kind. I think that he's compassionate. And I think for me, it's okay. I love the fact that he's 11 and he still wants to give his mama a hug. You know, most 11-year-old boys, you know, don't. That's true. And I feel like it honestly speaks to the foundation as his mom that I have built. But what's a really interesting thing is that in our home, we have a very interesting dynamic. So, My daughter and my husband, Michael, they're like me and my son, Michael. Okay. Very, very affectionate, very close. Mm -hmm. Then on the flip side of it, my son, Michael, is like best friends with his dad. Like, let's wrestle, let's play, let's, you know, hang out. Where me and my daughter, like, inseparable. That's like, you know, she'll cuddle with me and everything, but it's like, let's talk, Mom.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't have any sons, but my daughter's like that, too. They don't come talk to me about, and I say, come talk to me about (laughs) You're, what, you're a sensitive to, uh, no well they we're well, I mean, 10 but, and
0: eight yeah they don't want to talk but to you. they're starting to talk about well let's go back to the mama's boy are you a mama's boy No. okay why are you not a mama's boy because my don't mom you love my your mom? Mom. my mom's not affectionate don't you love your mom I do well that was the criteria but, for
2: me b- no but it's my mom isn't an <laughs> isn't an affectionate person. Like my mom is was never someone that you like
1: went to for yeah 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 I got it see I said but
2: my mom had me when she was seventeen okay so she was a child herself right so she had no her brain like she had no nurturing ability because she was sixteen when she got pregnant seventeen when she had me. Mm-hmm. So so she, well, my dad. They they were married for a little bit, and they ended up. You know, he 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 was young too, so he had right. no idea how to nurture her, nurture me. You know, so we got the. You know, you're a boy, just be tough with it. But no, I'm right. not a mama's right. boy. Okay, so I don't know what that's like. I I know the connotation to it. I, I think, wish I was a mama's boy. I'll tell you. That. I think
0: it depends on how you define it, because like I feel like with my mother, you know, I'm an only child, so yeah, I got a lot of attention. I got all the attention, but <laughs> I mean, my dad, my dad was in my Life, but he didn't live here, and so you know when I just think back, sort of like on my upbringing, like my mom was my ride or die. Like my mom is the one that made sure I had clothes on my back every day, and I had lunch money for school, and mm-hmm. even to this day, my mom is still like, you know, my dad is there, and he's always gonna, you know, but my, I. So I feel like although I, I think that my mother and we have different personalities. Yeah. So I I probably click better with my dad because he's very chill, very laid back. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. get a lot of my personality from him. And my mother is a little more like she's like, oh, my God, like she she's kind of like zero to 100 real quick. Uh So but I think just because of like my upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're but I I think mama's boy, I think that we have a lot of. Toxic masculinity You know I talk about that All the time yeah. Where we basically Boys are taught That you can't show emotion Correct You know Correct. Um, You should only see women As sexual objects Correct You know your thing is To you know conquest And conquer everything And yes. um, I think that's how That's why we have A lot of the issues We have nowadays So I think I think it's okay To encourage boys To be close to their mothers But not necessarily Label them as being soft Because I mean No, no man wants to be Right Thought of as being soft and I don't, I don't think that makes you soft.
1: Well, and I think, you know, with the blog, that was my attempt to actually remove the negativity of the stigma associated with being a mama's boy using that that phrase that is very familiar and is used to describe you know a boy that is soft I was changing it you know I'm changing narratives all over the place so I'm just changing the narrative of that and saying you know what it's okay to be a quote-unquote mama's boy because to me this is what a mama's boy looks like it's okay to, to have to raise a sensitive and compassionate and caring son it's okay to hug him it's okay to show him affection because that's how honestly you are for lack of a better phrase, his first experience with right. a woman. Yeah. So you are teaching him very much what he needs to expect and how to relate. Right. So that was my, you Have know. Have you
2: had to teach your husband how to do that? I know that now that I, you know, since I've been married, my wife helps me a lot with Shh. No, not whipping I'm, I'm into just shape, kidding. I'm but, just but kidding. being more uh, understanding, being yes. a little more tender and nurturing and understanding. Like, have you had to do that with your husband, too?
1: Yes, um, I have. You know, he was raised in a very strong household as well, but he has a very strong relationship with his father. So, you know, that it's just a different dynamic. And so my husband is very strong. He's very tough. Um, he's had to be for all those years. It served him well, right? So, yeah, but
2: I mean, this is a conversation that this is a, a thing for for men. Yeah. Even though how old, no matter how old you are, you can still learn something from the women in your life. And yeah. you can still change and accept right. another thought and have some tenderness and nurturing.
1: Yeah. Know? And I think more than any of my words, I think him seeing how both our children relate to me and how much they run to have conversations with me when something is going Yeah, he on. wants that too, probably. He wants that too. So what he does is he looks at my approach and then he asks them like, well, why won't you, you know, talk to me like that? And then they'll say, well, it's like, you know, mom like listens.
2: He sounds like a good dad. At least he's he's very
1: aware. And he and that also has come with having to be supportive, you know, to a spouse. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, when is your your book, which is titled Be Free, Be You? When is it drop?
1: June. This year, wow! Yeah, we're playing around with a couple different, um a couple different dates, but yeah, June of 2019, it will be here. I'm, I'm very excited. Are you you have like a book
0: signing thing? Yeah.
1: Oh, I'm gonna have yeah, lots of book signings, a launch party. You're on the invite list. Well, we'll have
2: to have you back a few months after it launches. Yeah. Talk about the reception of it. Yeah, Yeah, I would love to come back. That I think you should follow that book up with questioning my blackness. You think so? Absolutely. You know that what would I would be. love to read a book about and I'm sure if you have been written I just don't know about but from your perspective yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. to explore that thought cuz I'm fascinated by it.
1: And it's funny cuz I was actually thinking as an as an author you're always thinking about like okay what's next what's next what's next. So next on the docket is I actually want to Shift the adult version of Be Free B U into a middle grade. Oh, that would be awesome, girls' yeah. edition. And then yeah. from there, I like that idea of. I, I kind of have a concept in my head that I'm working on that kind of coincides with what you just suggested. So that'll be exciting to see what comes next. Absolutely,
0: all right.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. Thank you
0: for coming. Thank you Absolutely. for helping educate not only us but our listeners about mental health and and women feeling free to be themselves. Yeah, it's yes. very brave. Yeah. yeah,
1: thank you guys so much. It was um,
0: for everybody else out there we want to thank you again for listening to our show don't forget we love to hear from our listeners you can check us out on our facebook page at facebook slash group slash other side podcast all one word or you can also hit us up on twitter at other side underscore pod so until the next time try to see things from the other side